Well, hi everyone, my name is Lane, and I am the Young Adults Pastor and the Youth Director here at the church. And I'm really, really excited to be teaching out of the Word of God tonight, but I have to say, I'm even more excited for tomorrow, because tomorrow we are kicking off for the first time a project called Youth for the City. And it's going to be happening Friday through Monday, and I am so proud of how hard our team has been working, how excited the students are to go out and serve our city. It's going to be four days of learning about Jesus and worshiping God and doing fun activities, but also serving our city, partnering with nonprofits and asking our community, how can we serve you? And I'm just really proud that that's what our youth are doing this summer. I think it's really incredible, so I'm excited for that. But tonight, we are jumping into uh, the second week of a new series we've been in called A People in a Place. And this is a series that is going through the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Last week, Brad taught on a very famous passage out of the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was this famous passage on love. Really great, by the way. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, that sermon, I was really moved by it. One of my favorite things that he said was, a supernaturally transformed heart doesn't feel love, it is love. I love that. And I'm grateful that we started there because this is the idea, this really is the heart of the entire series and at the center of Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, a heart of love. What it means to be a community of Jesus followers is that we are a people being transformed by the renewing work of the Spirit. And in this transformation, we step into a new humanity that God inaugurated in Jesus. But we live in this tension, right? Where although we are no longer who we used to be, we are not yet fully who we are becoming. We don't always live into this picture of the redeemed reality that God has promised, which is why Paul is writing letters to churches, right? He's course correcting people as they drift. And he's reminding them of who God was, who God is, and who he's making people to be. It's believed that Paul wrote several letters to this church because apparently human beings can be a little stubborn and uh, can forget things easily, but not us. We don't have that problem. We're going to be in the beginning part of uh, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 10. So if you want to turn there, um, we're going to read that in just a little bit. And in this passage, Paul is addressing something that is all too relevant to us today, and that is celebrity culture. Yes, he's talking about celebrity culture. Apparently, celebrity culture is not new. We've had one version of this or another all throughout human history. Why, why do we create these systems of, of celebrity culture? We, we have this human compulsion to want to elevate people to the limelight, to conjure up someone to save us, to be a symbol of our agenda. And if they don't measure up to that, then we crucify them, right? Have we heard this phrase, never meet your heroes? Yeah, Even the ancient Israelites who were following the direct guidance of God requested a human king, one that was worthy by their standards. And of course, no king ever lived up to the expectations. We all have this desire to find someone to aspire to. We, we like to find someone who embodies what we want to be. But the line between role model and idol can be very thin. <laughs> And very quickly, somebody that we admire can be somebody that we worship. No, we don't make sacrifices to them or call them God or anything like that. But worship is simply ascribing worth to something. So where I put my thoughts, my energy, my affections, my money, my time, those things usually point to what I ascribe worth to. And if that's the case, I have a lot of things competing for worship in my life. 
When I was a child, I had two pretty dominant role models. Uh, the first was collectively the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, the Power Rangers were simply everything that was right in the world, yeah? And then my other role model was, was Michael Jackson. Um, now the Power Rangers, teenagers with attitude who fought evil with the help of their mighty power zords, right? Man, some producer was so smart. They're like, so do Power Rangers use dinosaurs or robots? And some guy was like, Let's do both at the same time. Incredible innovation, yeah? As soon as I was old enough to have a cell phone, I downloaded the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you know, uh, ringtone on my text messages. Nerd alert. Okay, so I may or may not have owned a Power Ranger t-shirt when I was in college. May or may not, meaning I definitely did. Um, This, (laughs) there's a lot going on in this picture. Uh, (laughs) This is me and my wife, at the time girlfriend in college, growing, uh, what, 11 years ago, something like that. Um, Notice the uh, Avengers posters in the background. This was before the Avengers even came out. This was a historic time, this this big team up. And you might see a floral chair in the background there. We may or may not have found that on the side of the road, me and my roommate, and and just brought it into our dorm. College is a weird time. Um, All this to say, I really like the Power Rangers. But I also wanted to be just like Michael, right? I may or may not have memorized the thriller choreography at the age of seven. I did. (laughs) So as a child, I found myself in a bit of a pickle, right? My two role models were very different kinds of awesome. And when my mom asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I kind of felt stuck. I wanted to be like Michael Jackson, but I also wanted to be a Power Ranger. So I told her, mom, I want to be known as dancing in danger. Yeah? I bet you'd never heard that phrase before, but you can picture it, right? Me like moonwalking through a bunch of supervillains and Michael Jackson kicking them in the face. Like, you were impressed by that. You know you were. Um, Yeah, peanuts, grapes, why choose? We're going to make a sandwich, right? Innovation. That's what I wanted to do. Some of you might be asking, Kayleen, what does this have to do with anything? (laughs) The point is, we have this tendency, right, to elevate people to celebrity status in our lives. We find people who embody what we desire to become, and then we idolize them and we idealize them. And we like to create them in our own image in our minds, even if they aren't really that way behind closed doors, right? Never meet your heroes. Why do we do this? I think we do this for a few reasons. One, it's a shortcut to listening to God, right? Because listening to God is very delicate, very careful work. But why go through all the trouble of quieting my soul and listening to God when I can just go to someone who's speaking more loudly and saying more things I want to hear? We also like to farm out to the expert. I don't know what I think or feel about this thing, so I'm going to let so-and-so tell me how I think and feel about this thing. We also have a spirit of competition. We like to win. My dad can beat up your dad. My president can beat up your president. Stuff like that, right? We like to win. And we're really individualistic here in the West. I get to choose the God that best suits me. And this human tendency is what Paul is writing about in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. This series is called A People in a Place, because that's what the Corinthians were. Paul, who is this radically transformed man after he met Jesus, um, he was brilliant in his own right, respected by many. He was determined to see the church of Jesus flourish. And he's writing to the Christians living in the city of Corinth. This is a a Greco-Roman city. It's a hub of culture, of commerce, of idolatry and philosophy. Um, It's a a culture of people much like Portland, people who are um, educated and wealthy and ambitious and talented. And he's asking them to consider, who is it that we truly follow? Who is our celebrity, our example, our role model? And then he invites them deeper. 
And, and he offers Jesus as an example, not just because he's the best human, but because he's the Messiah. He's Lord, whose death and resurrection entered in a new era and reality for humanity. So humans, no matter impressive or unimpressive, are not who we are to be modeling, but humans are stubborn and forgetful, and we forget that. So Paul's writing about this. So let's jump into the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I love that he's processing this as he's writing. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, so let's unpack this. We don't know much about Chloe, but it's likely that she was a trusted confidant of Paul's. She was a leader in the church, and she was the head of a household. And her servants are the ones who delivered information about the church being divided. And Apollos, according to Acts chapter 18, he was this learned Jew from Alexandria who was deeply grounded in the scripture and who taught accurately the things concerning Jesus with great passion and eloquence. So he was operating as a preacher in Ephesus before he even met Paul. And what's interesting is that Paul was believed not to have been a very eloquent public speaker. So it might have been that people were gravitating to Apollos because of his rhetorical skill. And Paul warns about the danger of this, the danger of following people just because of their woo, because of their charm, because the substance of our unity is the power of the cross, not the eloquence of our leaders. That's the power of our unity. How can Christ's body be divided? He's going, if Christ's body is divided, you're missing it. You've missed the point. And then what's interesting is he seems to be critiquing people who are saying, I belong to Christ. But like, aren't we supposed to be emulating Christ? But here's what's interesting. He, he, what, what, what Paul is, is concerned about is that people, uh, there's a potential here for spiritual elitism. To say, well, I follow Christ. We're the real Christians, right? We don't like to admit this, but we often think this of ourselves. Like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians over there, right? I'm the one who really follows Jesus. But the second anyone claims this, they become a person who seemingly has exclusive access to Jesus. But there's no one like that here, yeah? Did you know that there are apparently roughly 45,000 denominations of Christianity across the globe? 45,000 different organizations that follow Jesus in the way that they determine to be best. Fascinating. I stumbled upon this cartoon, this illustration once, and it's a picture of a membership class. And it'll appear right now. There it is, yeah. So in this, in this picture, um, the teacher is pointing to uh, churches and Christian movements throughout Christian history. And it starts at 1 AD and it branches into all these different movements and denominations that we have. And the teacher has circled one little tiny point and says, so this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. <laughs> and then one of the students says, man, Jesus is so lucky to have us. 
It's comical, but it's kind of true. Yeah, we kind of think of ourselves this way, that we've somehow found ourselves within the perfect way to Jesus. Now, I'm a licensed four-square minister. I'm a reverend, technically. Any chance to brag about that? I think it's really cool. And I love our movement, but I don't for one second believe that we have a monopoly on the kingdom of God. You heard him saying? I'm an imperfect pastor following imperfect leaders, and we're all doing the best we can under the guidance and grace of the Spirit. That's what we're doing. But we like to have these heroic figures that we can look to to help us sort out the confusion. And this in and of itself isn't bad. It's not unhealthy until the opinion or the policy of a leader or a figure in our lives takes precedence over unity in Christ. That's when Paul says this becomes a problem, right? And in this Corinthian culture, they valued celebrity as much as we do, if not more. A huge part of the economy was built on the worship of idol gods. But the way of Christ and the teachings of Paul encourage a life of servanthood, a culture by which all people are equal recipients of grace, all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. No one is greater or less than anyone else based on their achievements or their status. In the first century church, it was common to see a slave equal to a governor, a carpenter to a shepherd, all women equal to men, all united by the same love that set them free and gave them hope for God's preferred future. This was an upside down kingdom from the way the world's supposed to work. Because everybody knows you're supposed to curry favor with those whom you wish to emulate in an effort to achieve and acquire what they possess. The idea that we would emulate Christ who lays down his life in service of others This is contrarian. It goes against the grain. Look, I don't know how to be the smartest person in the room. I don't know how to be the most charismatic, the strongest, the most influential. But I think I know how to be good. Goodness comes from submitting myself to Jesus before anything else. Because me submitted to anything above him cannot be good. Yes, we submit ourselves in sacrificial love and humility to one another and to our leaders, but we never submit to ourselves to anyone above Christ. Celebrities are so compelling because they embody who we inspire to become, uh, aspire to become. Or we paint them to be the leader that we can unwaveringly follow, no matter what, they can do no wrong. And we've always had celebrities. We've had these faraway figures that have achieved or been given what we believe to be worthwhile in life. You know, during the lockdown, my wife and I, we binge-watched a show, I mean, we binge-watched many shows, but we binge-watched one show specifically about the British royal family, which I did not think I would care about at all, but it was really fascinating. And there was this line spoken by Queen Mary that was both fascinating and terrifying. She said, Monarchy is God's sacred mission to grace and dignify the earth to give ordinary people an ideal to strive towards, an example of nobility and duty to raise them up in their wretched lives. (laughs) I didn't like that. Because this goes against everything that we learned about in Leviticus. You remember Leviticus? Say yes, you remember Leviticus. We only spent 400 weeks in it. Yeah, we remember Leviticus? The high priests were set apart and underwent these really strict purity rituals only to become filthy and smelly in the service of the community. That's the model that Jesus sets for us. Now, we may not have a monarchy in the U.S., but we definitely elevate people to royalty in our culture, yeah? Ambitious people 
have a desire to create this royal example for us to live by, and then we let them. So who is your queen? Who's your royalty? Is it an athlete? Is it a CEO? Is it a political leader? Is it a pastor? But how does Jesus set his example? Does he rest in glory above human suffering and pain in order to give us something to strive for? No, that's not how Jesus does it. In Luke chapter 22, he's talking to his disciples and it says, a dispute uh, also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father has conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What's he saying? He's saying that the reigning and ruling alongside Jesus, that his rule and his reign is fueled by service, by humbling oneself in the service of others. In Matthew 20, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. You know, a young man, uh, about 18, 19 years old, was t- I was talking with him recently, and he said that in his experience, it- it's taught him that everyone is simply living to get theirs. And they'll pretend to care about you, but ultimately they just want to use you to achieve their own goals. And he meant it. And that broke my heart because that's what his experience has told him about people. The Avengers antagonist, Loki, he calls this a mad scramble for power. And to what end, right? Like what happens when we reach the top? The actor and comedian, uh, uh, Jim Carrey, he said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and see everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. You know, without self-giving love, I'm afraid that this young man I spoke to is right. People just want to get theirs. But I also believe that the goodness of God, that his beautiful DNA, his fingerprints are hidden all throughout the human soul perhaps lying dormant, waiting to be activated. And this God image bearing part of us that wants to be brought into the light, sometimes we just need a reminder of of who we were created to be. Brad taught us last week that things like patience and kindness and trust, that these attributes are, are not just of an idea or a philosophy of love, they are the attributes of God himself who is love. So if we want a life any better than the one this young man described to me, we don't need to emulate celebrities in, order, in an effort to accumulate what they have. We need to emulate God's love, which teaches us to lay down our lives in the service of others. The kingdom of God is one that is upside down. The one who sits at the table, the one who serves. The way to glory, it's a descent into service. And this is our unity. When Paul writes, perfectly united in mind and thought, this is where we find perfect agreement. Not that we all agree with Apollos or Cephas or Paul, but that we all submit to Christ. Not out of a heart of exclusive elitism, but in a race to the bottom. Who gets to serve? The pastor who married my wife and I, he said that Ephesians 5 is not about who's in charge. 
Ephesians 5 is about who gets to serve the other. It's a competition of who can outserve the other. I love that. Because listen, it's easy to forget that that's what we do. That we lay our lives down in the service of others. We get caught up in the narratives the world gives us. Liberals and conservatives, progressives and fundamentalists, evangelicals and secularists, leftists and rightists, communists and capitalists, socialists and nationalists, Pentecostals and cessationists, these are not the categories by which we discern the world. These are the systems that we have been given by those who carry influence. But human beings are far too complex, far too nuanced, and far too beautiful for these polarizing narratives. Friends, have we found ourselves in a place where we are being discipled by the culture more than we're being discipled by Jesus? Maybe we need to remember that we are not first citizens of the United States. We are exiles in a foreign land. This country, which I love, where I live, is not my home. At least not my home the way that it's supposed to be. We've been so conditioned to see ourselves as boxes on a ballot that we've forgotten that we are a people in a place. Have we been deceived? Don't we know that I can do far more work for the kingdom in a day-to-day with the, with the people right in front of me than I can every four years in a voting booth? We can spread so much more light and love being present to the people in our lives than we can being distracted by clickbait media. Followers of Jesus are not consumers. We are commissioned. We are on mission, sent wherever we put our feet to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is not built on power and acquisition and the loudest voice, but rather on self-giving love, humility, and service. These world's leaders are not good enough. Our pastors are not smart enough. Our governments are not strong enough. So our hope, our allegiance, our affection must be rooted in something that is beyond this world. Any human glory that we glimpse on this side of eternity is but a glimmer. It's a dim reflection of the glory that awaits us. Our only way to healing, our only way to love, what unites us perfectly in thought and mind is not that we agree on which policy or leader will enact the most good for the most people, but rather that we agree that no policy or leader will ever enact as much good as our perfectly loving Jesus. If there is something happening in your world that breaks your heart, stop waiting for some leader to do something about it. Jesus did something about it when he sent you. Don't wait for your leaders to become the everything Jesus is already. Trust that Jesus in you is bringing about the redemption and reconciliation of all things. Friends, we need to stop standing in boastful arrogance and judgment of our leaders, and we need to start kneeling at the feet of those whom Jesus wants to serve. That is our first priority. Now, does this mean we don't contend for justice or fairness or accountability? No, of course not. We should be present and engaged in public policy and investing into choosing our leaders. But here's the difference. We should never make the mistake of trusting in those systems or waiting for those systems to bring about the kingdom of God. Any good we enact on the earth is a signpost pointing to God's redeemed world. When we look to Jesus, we're talking about a peace that transcends understanding a peace that empowers a human being to be tortured and killed in the face of betrayal and malice because it's not about winning by the rules of the evil one. It's about losing with faith in the one who is good. It's about choosing to die a thousand deaths while clinging to love 
rather than winning a single fight by playing by the enemy's rules. Who are we fighting? Paul makes his appeal in his letter by saying brothers and sisters. This is not an arbitrary greeting. Look into the face of the most radical liberal, of the most stubborn fundamentalist. It's the face of your brother. It's the face of your sister, of your mother, of your father. It is a bond stronger than blood, a bond created in the depths of God's being. Jesus' prayer was that we be one as he and the Father, Father are one. Do we understand what that means? It means that we're invited into a unity and a bond that is so much stronger than anything DNA can give us. And never in a million years or a billion lifetimes should we ever do anything to jeopardize that family. Can we set aside our echo chambers? We endeavor to find the influential voice, the PhD, the charismatic personality that's going to agree with what we think. But you can find a PhD, an eloquent leader who will reinforce anything you want to say. It's true. If you want to say that the Holocaust never happened, there's a PhD out there who will say that. If you want to say racism isn't a problem and never was a problem, there's a PhD out there that will say that for you. If you want to say the earth is flat, unfortunately, there are lots of PhDs out there that will say that for you. And this is why the kingdom of God is not built upon and does not rely upon people who talk good and do good book learning. That's not what it's about. Jesus was arguably the most effective and eloquent teacher the world has ever seen. But a lot of people thought he was full of it. Look at what Paul writes in verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Faith in Jesus is profound and revolutionary, not because it creates perfect leaders and eloquent speakers, but because Jesus' act of sacrificial love on the cross delivered human beings from sin and evil and death. Way bigger, way bigger story than anything we can conjure up down here. He's saying, don't put your hope in leaders. Don't even put your hope in me. Put your hope in the trust and the power of the cross. It's, it's so interesting. Human beings are simultaneously more precious and valuable than we could ever imagine, and yet not nearly as important as we think we are. <laughs> we think we can find these leaders with all the right answers, or at least the answers that we want to hear, but nothing we come up with on our own is ever going to be perfect. We believe that Jesus is always offering us another way, a way that breaks our limited categories and brings about restoration on a level that we were not prepared for. His plan is always bigger, always better than anything we can come up with on our own. Any policy we can conjure up, it's better. This is unity. This is unity. When we can look at the systems the world gives us, those solutions the world gives us, and we can accept them for what they are, a glimmer, a faint reflection of the bigger vision that God has for our fully redeemed world. Paul's correction to the Corinthians, it suggests some essential questions for us. And I think if we ask these questions, it'll help us to receive Paul's words for us. Who are we listening to? What experts have the most influence over our lives? What podcasts, news programs? Is it, is it the Bible? Is it God's word? Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it Fox? Is it CNN? Is it social media influencers? Where do we find our wisdom? 
And how does it help us foster unity and holiness of Christ's body? Because if it causes division, it's not wisdom. Why are we, as a part of Christ's body, who is undivided, so easily swayed into divisive bickering by provocative rhetoric? James. Remember the book of James? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. These, these questions that we're asking, they may, they may seem impolite. They may bug you a little bit, but it's not unloving. Like Paul, we need to be willing to confront hard realities and hard questions and the harsh realities of our failings. We can't stray away from hard questions. So friends, can we, can we set aside bickering and division? Christ is not divided, so if we are in him, we cannot be divided. All of us, however remarkable or unremarkable, are, are equal recipients of grace and dignity, equal recipients of God's love. And it is Jesus that redeems the world. Not any political leader, not any influencer, not any pastor, not any celebrity, not any idol. In those things, we cannot put our hope. Our hope is found in the work of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. So the next time you find yourself divided against a brother or a sister, take a deep breath, lean back, on the fact that you are a part of Christ and therefore, if they are a part of Christ, they are a part of you. And you are both on equal footing at the foot of the cross, racing to the bottom saying, how can I serve you? Can we stand together? May you be men and women who are rooted in love for one another, who in this love find unity that overcomes any division. And may you see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, found in a bond greater than anything we've seen in this world. Go in peace. We love you guys. Also, um, Sarah's album, Sarah who led worship this morning, her album is in uh, the commons area for you to purchase if you'd like. Um, and that's, that's there for you. So have a great week. <laughs>